Uh, this Christmas, we're looking at the three loves of Christmas. The miracle of Christmas, as Mark talked about, really inspires three different loves in our own hearts. Um, we even have an insert in your bulletin that maps out our discipleship plan at Harbor. We got a slide for that one? Yeah, this is the matrix that we're calling it. Really, the three loves that make up a healthy spiritual life. Um, and these three loves are taught to us by Christmas. You know, Christmas teaches us to love Christ. It teaches us to love the church. Today we're going to see it also teaches us to love the world. And I've been really excited about the way that this is being received. There are people that are already taking the matrix and doing fun stuff with the matrix. I had somebody come up to me last week and say, you know, we actually need to add a fourth row down at the bottom. It's not just know, be, and do, but if you know, be, and do these three loves, you end up having something. And so he created a fourth row down below, talked about what you have if you love Christ in this way, what you have. And, and this is what gets exciting, you know, that as you begin to learn this and process it, as you begin to look at how it applies to your life, you're going to see God do things with these categories. And you're going to see this sort of come alive as the spirit works along with God's word. As we organize it in this way, you're going to see things happen that are going to surprise you. And so I've been excited about um, how people are responding to this, the matrix. In terms of Christmas teaching us to love the world, we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 37 today. The scripture is printed in your bulletin. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's printed there on page 6. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 37, the first 14 verses. And so give ear now. This is God's word. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I, as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut clean off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will, cause, I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. 
Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is God's word. Now, as I said, we're going to be looking at this passage and how it teaches us about Christmas and then also how Christmas teaches us to love the world. And so the question we want to start off with is we want to ask, how do you feel about the world? When you think about the world, the world that is out there, right? The part of God's creation that isn't in relationship with him, we can call it. The world would be everything that's not the church. Okay, you got the church and the world. And the question is, how do you feel about the world? How are we supposed to relate to the world? Tribalism says that we should be against the world. Is that how you feel? That the world is only evil and we always need to avoid the world. We need to be careful that we don't get stained by the evil that fills the world. That's tribalism. Assimilationism says that we should be the same as the world. Just like the world. That we can relate to it. The problem with assimilationism is that with assimilationism, we are the same as the world, then the church has no influence. Right? There's no influence there. The question is, how should we relate? What's interesting is that the answer, in a very stark way, comes from Christmas. If you want to know how to relate to the world, if you want to know how you ought to deal with the folks that you see who are part of the world, in your neighborhoods, in your family, in your community, at work, Christmas teaches you how to relate to the world. Jesus himself teaches you how to relate to the world, and he teaches us that we are to love the world. Jesus, his coming at Christmas, is a grand message and a demonstration that we are to love the world. And this passage, as we look at this, we're going to see how to love the world really in three ways. Okay, we're going to see three ways on how to love the world. And if, if you've got your bulletins, you can take notes there. Here are the three points. We're going to see first how we are just like the world. Second, how we're different from the world. And then third, how we connect to the world. Okay, so first, how we're like the world. Second, how we're different from the world. And then third, how we connect to the world. So first, how we're like the world. And here we need to look really at really the need of Israel. Israel is this picture, right? Israel is this image of dry bones that are filling this valley. That Ezekiel is called, he's caught away and, and brought to look at these bones. And what he sees here is a graphic picture of the state of Israel. Okay, this is the state of the nation. These are God's people and where they are. They've been judged. Right? We've seen in the last couple of weeks that Ezekiel is coming to preach and to share with people who are being judged by God. They have cut themselves off. Right, Their whole society has been corrupted, and they know it. They understand that their status, their being cut off from God, is a result uh, of themselves. It's a result of their own sin. Verse 11, they confess, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. And it's interesting, just to drive the point home, verse 2, God leads Israel to see that there really is no life anywhere among these bones. Right? Verse 2, it says, he led me around among them. And he says, behold, they were very dry. So Ezekiel checked it out. There was no life. We're not talking about corpses here. Right? We're not talking about people who are you know, on, the, on the gurney, you know, who are just flatlined and you're waiting for the defibrillator to come and just bring you right back to life. Right? No, no, no. no. These aren't even corpses. Right? They're bones and they're dry. So they have been long dead. They have been dead for so long 
that their flesh has rotted off and the bones have been bleached by the sun. Now, the significance of this, the reason why there's such a graphic picture is because, well, this really does illustrate what Israel's life had come to. This is what they were dealing with. And almost the worst part of this, one of the key significances of this is that Israel realizes that she has become no better than the nations. Okay, Israel was called from its very inception, from the very beginning of God's plan for Israel, he was calling a people to himself who would be, Genesis 12, verse 3, that they would bless the rest of the nations of the world. God said to Abraham, in you, all the nations would be blessed. And so God wanted to use Israel to bless the rest of the world, to love the world and to care about the world. And now, though she's been called to bless the world, Israel has been judged and cursed with the rest of the world all around her. And I think when we begin to see that, it begins to speak to us. I think, I don't know, as, as I was reading this, as you are processing this, do you feel like your life is in here? Do you feel like in some ways, when you look at your life metaphorically, that, I mean, you feel like maybe you are just a bunch of dry bones laying out in a valley with a bunch of other people who are really just dry bones? And some people, it's like you feel like you're in the dying process. Maybe you've just laid down and, you're, and you just feel like you're rotting from the inside. I mean, it's interesting. I feel like at times I've felt, I've certainly felt this way before, um, where I felt like my entire life is worthless, you know, where nothing that I do matters. Nobody really seems to care. Nothing that I do really has any significance. And it would be, you know, I mean, I've really thought it'd be better if I were gone. We just watched uh, It's a Wonderful Life last night. It's part of our Christmas tradition. And I mean, just an amazing picture of you have somebody who wishes the same thing and then sees it and there's a happy ending there. But I felt that way. And when you're feeling that way, there was no angel, you know, ready to show me all the wonderful things that, that have been a result of my influence. And so I've felt like this before. I mean, and then there's other times in my life where I haven't felt like my whole self is dead, but I've felt like there are parts of my life that are this dead, you know, where maybe I've got, you know, flesh and, and life in certain parts of me, but my arm is dead. You know, or my eyes really don't do anything like they're supposed to, but I'm, I'm using my eyes to do things that I really shouldn't. You know, and I'm growing death in me by using certain parts of my body, or there's different parts of my life that don't reflect any of God's life in me. And so maybe that's, maybe that's where you are. I mean, either way, the point of this picture, as stark as it is, the point that Ezekiel is trying to make, the point that God is trying to make to you today, is that God can bring restoration. I mean, no matter how far gone you are, the point of this text is that God can restore, right? This is how far God can reach. If you are this far gone, God can reach you. I mean, he can work in your life. He can work in the life of of a church. If you feel like the church is this dead, right? God can work even in the life of the church. God can work in the life of the city around us, the world. And so we see that he can, but... Really, that only, that's only half of the questions, right? Because I think a lot of us believe that God can. You know, but the question really is, will he? You ever wondered about that? Well, sure, God can heal people. I see it you know, happen all the time. I hear testimonies. I hear people's lives change. But is he willing to do that for me? Right? What good is it if God can heal but doesn't? You know? What's the point of Christmas if my life is broken? Is that where you are today? Well, Ezekiel does too. I mean, if you look at verse 3, God even comes to him and says, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's answer, it's kind of nebulous, right? What's Ezekiel saying? He's like, oh, Lord God, you know. I think what he's saying, it's confusing. Like He's not sure. He's being vague. He's being unclear. 
And I think what Ezekiel's saying is, he's saying, Lord, they can if you're willing. Oh, Lord, you know. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with these bones, but if you're willing, they can live. And I guess, yeah, are, are you asking that question today? Is there an area of your life where you're asking, can this part of my life live? Can my life come back from the dead? Can I see growth? Can I see love? Can I see grace restored? Can I see healing in a particular area of my life? I mean, that's the question. Is God willing to help me with this? And if you're asking that, I mean, the answer, think about what we're celebrating this week. The answer is Christmas. And Christmas is an unequivocal, undeniable, without a doubt, statement from God saying that he is willing to work in your life. God is willing to bring healing and restoration to your life. Christmas says that even if your, body, if your life is, in a, is like a valley of dry bones, that God can and will work in your life if you'll let him. It's interesting because this is what the world needs, but it's also what we need. You know, and in this way, we're the same. Both us and the world, we have the same need. We all need God's power to come and bring healing and restoration. We need him to have a willing spirit to work in us. And so that's how we're like the world. Now, our second point, how are we different from the world? We have the same need. The difference is that folks who believe in Jesus, they begin to experience this resurrection. Okay, that's the big difference. And this resurrection comes, the power of God to bring new life comes. We see in the text, really, there's really three ways that this comes. It comes first in the word of God. It's God's word that brings life to these bones. God said to Ezekiel, preach to these bones. And so Ezekiel does. And when the word of God comes to these bones, they have life. So there is power in the word of God. And if you just read the Bible, you can see that this is true. As you read the Bible, the Bible, it says that the Bible is is sweeter than honey, right? The Bible is better than gold. The Bible is a fountain of life. It's health to the bones. It brings restoration. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. There is power in God's word. And this is where it comes from, not only for the Valley of Dry Bones, but for us. I was reading Proverbs this morning, um, and I came across this. Proverbs 11, listen to this, verses 24 and 25. This is so amazing. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. You get it? One gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. That's empowering, isn't it? That's encouraging. Like that gives strength to me. That gives strength to my heart. I mean, it's just one example of something I read. You know, that verse gives strength and power in the sense that it reminds us, you know what, when we're selfish, we end up with a bottomless pit that never gets full. God's word will remake you. It will fill you. It will raise you from the dead. As you read it, understand it, apply it to your life, it changes you. It changes you. Let's just think about Christmas for a second. What does God's word say about Christmas? Well, first, there's good news. You can have hope. God cares so much about the world that he has come down himself to fix it. Okay, and it's interesting because God is wisely now working for your good. And I say wisely there because in his wisdom, God doesn't snap his fingers to fix everything. You know, there are reasons maybe why, but the point is that God actually did the hard thing. He came down. He could have snapped his fingers from heaven and fixed everything, but he didn't. Instead, he took the hard choice, took the hard road, and came himself to bring restoration the hard way. 
And he wants to do the same thing with you. Now, the hard part for us is that he also wants us to go about change and restoration the hard way. He wants to work his word into us. He wants to teach us his word, and he's patient. He's patient to teach you over time, over months, over years, over decades, to work things out of you, to work things into you so that you can experience his healing power and his restoration. And he does this, and he brings encouragement, hope, and strength from his word. And it's interesting because though there's power in the word, the, the word needs to be joined by the spirit. Okay, so resurrection comes from the word first, but second, it also comes the spirit from the spirit. The spirit must be joined to the word for it to have impact, right? There's this sort of double preaching that Ezekiel does. And it's interesting, right? Because the first time he preaches, the bones come together, the flesh comes together, the sinews come together, and there they are, right? These bodies are reformed, but still dead. They're reformed, but still dead. We've got to be careful there, right? I mean, even sometimes coming to church, sometimes we just come to church because we want to look like we've been reformed, but inside there's nothing going on. There's no real relationship. And we think about what real love is in terms of know, be, and do, right? We can know God, even know about Christ, but not be in relationship with him. And so we have to be careful. We've got to be careful about that. This is a two-stage process, one with the Word and then the second with the Spirit. This reminds me of the creation account of Adam in Genesis chapter 2, right? God took the dust of the ground and formed Adam, and then what? And then he breathed into him his own breath. He put his Spirit into Adam to give him life. And so we see that there's forming and then there's filling. And the same thing is true here in our passage, that God gives us his Word And then he uses his spirit to give life to that word. And so sometimes as we learn his word, it grips us so much that it really does change us. And the spirit fills us as we understand his word. Sometimes it's not until we put his word into practice that we experience the presence of God's spirit, that we feel his enlivening power as we try to follow and say, God, I don't feel like doing this. I don't really want to do this or I'm not really sure if this is going to work, but I'm going to try to do this because you say it in your word. And God answers by filling us with his spirit. And so sometimes we experience the word even greater when we put it into practice, when we apply it to our lives. Now with Ezekiel, it's so interesting, verse 9, God says, preach to the breath, prophesy to the breath, prophesy and say this to the breath. You know, and I think that's interesting. The word breath is the same word for wind, is the same word for spirit in Hebrew. Okay, and so really what Ezekiel's doing is he's calling to the Spirit of God and he's saying, come and fill these bodies. Come and fill these bodies. And so as we look at applying this in our own lives, as we feel maybe called to begin to share, we do the same thing. We preach to the bones, right? We preach to the people around us. We share the good news. We share about Christ. We share what, what Christmas is all about. But then we also need to preach to the wind. We need to pray to God's Spirit that he would come and give life to the hearers. And so we say, Spirit of God, come and bless your word so that we might have life. Spirit of God, give us understanding. Help us not just to get your word, but to walk in your word. Fill us with your word in our minds, but with yourself in our hearts. Give us your strength so that we can put it into action. And so to bring resurrection, to experience the power of resurrection, it comes from the word, it comes from the spirit. And then the last thing is that it comes from the one who shares, the one who shares, the sharer, right? Who does God want to share his word? 
right? He chose Ezekiel in this passage. Well, what's special about Ezekiel? Well, God uses people to speak for him when they have had personal experience of what they're preaching. It's those who've experienced this resurrection power, those who've experienced God's healing touch, whom God calls to share. Ezekiel actually went through a version of this exact experience earlier in the book. If you read the end of chapter 1, if you read the end of chapter 3, two times Ezekiel stood before the glory and the majesty of God and was overcome and undone. He fell on his face and worshipped. He was so awed at who God is that he fell on his face because he knew he could not even stand in God's presence. He experienced that twice, and both times it says that God's spirit came into him and stood him on his feet. I'll just read one, Ezekiel 3, 23 and 24. So I arose and went out into the valley, same valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory I had seen by the Chebar Canal, and I fell on my face. But the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And so Ezekiel has experienced this death and resurrection himself. He's prostrated himself on his face in death before God, and he has been raised personally by God's Spirit. And that's what he's preaching. That's what he's preaching. He's preaching something that he himself has experienced. And so God wants you to experience his power. He wants you to experience a relationship with him so that you can talk about that, so you can share that with other people. I mean, we are in for an amazing treat next week because Dick's going to be preaching and he's going to be sharing about his experience battling cancer and what God has done not only to show him himself, not only to reveal himself, but then God has used Dick's experience in the lives of so many other people. I mean, we all know that, right? You share what you know. You share what you've experienced. And there's power in that, right? I mean, there's power in your personal experience of God because no one can take that away. Right. What you've experienced, there are critics, there are um, there are folks who would blow holes in the Bible. There are folks who would take the Bible apart and criticize it you know, for lots of different reasons. But no one can take away your personal experience with God. My favorite example, that's in John chapter nine. The, the, there was a man who was born blind and Jesus comes and heals him. And it causes this huge stir because you have this blind man who's telling everybody Jesus healed him. Well, the religious authorities who don't like Jesus, they come to him and, and they're trying to get him to deny it. They're trying to get him to, because they don't want Jesus to, to, take, to get power, to become popular. And so they come to him and they say, you know that Jesus isn't the Messiah. You know that he's not who, you know, who he says he is. You know all this stuff. And, and so tell us, tell us the truth. And what does the blind man say? He doesn't deal with their theological perspective He doesn't try to analyze their criticism and try to undermine it in some way. He doesn't try to fancy maneuver or get himself out. What does he say? He says, well, whether he's this or that, I don't know. But let me tell you what I do know. I was blind and now I see. That's it. Your experience with God is one of the most valuable things that you can share. People can try to say, well, no, 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 you can't. Like, I can explain that. No, no. Your experience with God is what fits you to tell somebody else the good news. And so no one can take it away or deny it. But then the other thing about your personal experience is that everybody else wants a personal experience with a happy ending, right? Everyone else wants a personal experience where they see something that makes sense, right? Where they feel like, though there's broken stuff, because, I mean, we're not perfect, right? We're still struggling. We're still dealing with, with our own issues. But we see growth, right? We see us having a deeper appreciation for Christ. 
we see things happening in our lives and we see more and more of God coming true in our lives, right? You know what I'm talking about. We see areas of our life that are beginning to grow. We see sometimes it's just a greater awareness of our own weakness. So there's more that we're confessing, right? Sometimes that, I mean, that in and of itself is growth also, you know? And so we see this growth. We see progress. We see maturing, you know, and, and that makes it happy, you know? It's like if we can see that, you know, though we're not what we need to be, but we are becoming more that way. Like if we see direction, we get encouraged, right? There's joy that comes with that because God is really working in us. And when you experience that, when you experience that, then your story leads to a happy ending, but it's one that you're beginning to experience already. And so again, that's what people need. Everybody wants a story that has a happy ending and that shows signs of that happy ending coming true now. And so that's what we want to share. That's what we want to share. Your story, even just sharing your experience with God, invites other people into your faith. You want to tell people what God is doing in you so that they would be able to be invited into what God might do in their life. That's what Ezekiel did. He shared from his experience. When you do that, God's spirit comes. And so, in a sense, Ezekiel enters into the suffering experience. He has his own experience that's like theirs. He's entered into their experience of dying and rising again and when you see that when you make that connection then the heaven opens up then heaven's open and glory comes because i've got to tell you just as mark said christmas is a miracle right by itself the fact that god would come into the world is miraculous there's no other way to explain it the reality that god would become flesh it inspires us it's moving but christmas is just the beginning of the story right jesus came at christmas but the but but the birth of christ leads ultimately to the crucifixion right that god that this god would come and not just come but to come and sacrifice himself that's what changes us that he would sacrifice himself that's what moves us right when you see that no matter where you are right no matter what you've done or where you've been when you see that god has himself gone even farther than where you are to reach you. That's what moves us. That's what grips your heart to save us. Jesus, like Ezekiel, entered into the valley of the dry bones. But not like Ezekiel. Jesus actually laid his own bones down in the valley. He didn't just walk through to make sure they were dead. He entered into our death. He entered into our death. He died with us so that he could reach us so that he can reach us. That's when it moves you. That's when you want to worship. He entered into your death. He entered into your valley and actually went farther, deeper, worse into the valley of God's judgment and wrath so that on his way back, on his way back from the dead, he could reach out his arms and grab you and bring you with him. He entered our death so that we might enter his resurrection. And he came not just for his own, not just for the house of Israel, but he came for the world. He came for every nation, every class of people, every way you want to slice and dice the human race. Jesus came for us all. He loved the world. And so he came to heal. And he heals by entering into our death so that we might have his life. Hallelujah. Risen with healing in his wings. He comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. No matter where you are, no matter where the curse has hit your life, 
no matter what part of your life is dead and gone, he is risen with healing in his ways. I read a story a couple weeks ago about someone who saw a large tree that had been struck by lightning. Huge mark on the tree. And what's amazing is that though the trunk was badly split and bent, it still grew. And the tree grew over that stump and it sort of it grew up and became healthy again. Bark actually grew over that exposed heartwood from the lightning blast and left the trunk misshapen, but it was protected. And soon it was healthy. It was providing shade. It was providing, you know, all the benefits uh, that trees provide. This tree grew in strength and maturity around an incredibly crippling injury. That's how it works for us. And I've seen this. I've seen God take the broken, deformed things of this world and bless them with new life and then sanctify them for a special purpose. Right? So all of your deformities, all of your baggage, all of the lightning strikes in your own life from the past, God, by the power of his spirit and his word, is causing you to grow. He doesn't always take that stuff out. Sometimes he leaves it there so that it might be misshapen in such a way that people would see the deformity in you and marvel at God's grace and his work in your life. So that folks who have your deformity would see that there is still hope for them. That's good news. That's good news. It's reassuring to know, right? Reassuring is such an understated word, but it's reassuring to know that our Goodness, our fitness, our straightness is not a precondition to be used by God. That God uses crooked sticks. He uses crooked people. And out of the twistedness of your wounds, he designs for you a special place of service. I mean, that's how we're different from the world. It's this resurrection and how it affects us and how it works in our hearts. That's what makes us different. And it gives us something to share. So that's our second point. Now, our third point is, how exactly do we then connect with the world? How do we connect? We're the same, and yet we're different. So how do we bring the connection? How do we bring the resurrection message and the reality of the resurrection into the world around us? Well, it's interesting. You know, verse 10 ends with a standing army, right? So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. That's the end of the story, at least for this. Why is that? Ezekiel leaves it with just a group of people. Well, I guess to get this, I think you need to understand the transition from chapter 36 to 37. Okay, we looked at chapter 36 last week. There we saw that God was going to take a a, a wilderness, similar image of 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 a desert wilderness, and turn it into the garden cities of Eden. Right? But that's how God's restoration, his healing power works. He brings us from feelings we're out in the wilderness, dry, parched in every way. And the, the final state is a glorious, abundant, flourishing garden city. At the end of chapter 36, the question is, how do you go from one to the other? How does this world begin to experience these blessings? It's with this army. That's the job that this army is called to do. This army is God's solution. He finds the people who are out in the wilderness itself, and he brings them restoration. He brings them resurrection and spirit empowerment. And then he commissions them to be his army, to by his spirit and by his power, 
to bring his healing power to the world. And so for everyone who believes in Jesus, for everyone who's experienced this resurrection power, this healing, this spirit, this, this spirit involvement in your life, this is your calling. You are today part of this army with the same calling from God the same calling and that is to bring in and bring about these garden cities now some people love the image of the army right a lot of guys especially you know let's go you know we're the army of god let's go fight let's take the world other people don't like that um really the key in understanding the army of god is in how you fight and the way we fight as god's army is we look to jesus and we watch how he fought jesus fought with grace with love with real power, with forgiveness and trust in God. And that made Jesus more powerful than anything the world could throw at him. He overcame everything that they threw at him. And if you fight with his means, you will see God's healing power grow around you. Practically, though, how do we do this? Well, we need to love the world around us, right? It involves three things, knowing, being, and doing. It's why we have this in the plan. We need to love the world in terms of know, be, and do. Let me give you a story. Let me tell you a story to illustrate what our responsibility is to the world around us. What does it mean to wisely love and care for the world? It's the story of George Whitfield, who was a preacher in the early 1700s. His first trip from England to the United States was on a ship. And uh, Arnold Dalimore has written a biography that, that sort of chronicles this trip in, an, in a way that's just, well, let me just tell you the story. So he shows up. He was called to be the chaplain for the ship. There were some soldiers on the ship, called to be their chaplain. He gets on the ship, and his desire is to, is to bring healing and restoration to the whole ship, right? He wants everybody to know Jesus. He wants everybody to walk and follow Jesus. And his first experience on the ship was rejection. Nobody wanted him there. Everybody wanted a chaplain, but just to pray away the storms right? Pray the storms away, but, you know, don't get into my life. Um, and the ship was awful in so many different ways. And so how did Whitfield respond? Well, what Whitfield did was he went to the infirmary and Whitfield visited the sick. That's what he did. He didn't preach. He didn't do anything but go down to the people who were hurting and he cared for them. He prayed for them. He offered them comforting words he had his, from his own stores, he had brought in certain food and certain sweet things that were treats, um, and he would offer them to those people. And that's all he did. He just cared for the folks who were in desperate need. He served them and loved them and prayed for them. Well, after a while, there were a few folks that wanted to learn a little bit more, and so he began to offer classes on the ship for people that just wanted to come. After a while... Beyond that, he began to get to know people. He began to, to, to find out what life was like for them. He began to inter, intertwine with their lives. Well, then, after a while, the captain came to him and said, you know what, we really think it'd be good if when you pray that you might even give us a sermon now and again. And so he began to preach. By the time his ship crossed the Atlantic Ocean and arrived in the United States, this ship was holding two worship services a day. One in the morning, one at night. Every person on that ship was attending those services. And there were two other ships that were making the voyage with this one. They were coming alongside and tying the ships together so that all three ships could hear God's word, 
could experience God's spirit and enter into the worship of God. The author says, what a sight this must have been. The calm sea, the three vessels clustered together, the crowded decks ablaze with the red coats of the soldiers, and one deck serving as an open-air chapel with makeshift benches and even a male choir. Many who recently cursed God joined in the words of petition and praise. It started in the infirmary. George Whitfield went to those who needed help, and he served them. When it comes to our plan for discipleship, loving the world normally should start in the do category, right? Unfortunately, too often the church tries to get the world to know too quickly. We need to start by doing. I can't remember who said this, but someone said, you need to preach the gospel all the time, everywhere. And when necessary, open your mouth. St. Francis. What the world wants to see first is a church that's willing to serve, to do love for the world. As you serve the world, and this is how many of our ministries are designed. This is why we have a heart for mercy, not just why. We care about the world. We love it, and so we want to serve it. If there's needs, we want to see if we can provide, you know, provide answers and solutions to those needs. And so we do service to the, church, to, to the world. And then we begin to overlap and intertwine our lives. We get to know people and we become in relationship with the world. And the hope then is that as we build relationships, as we come along side by side, as our lives overlap, then we begin to share what God has done in our lives. And that is the offer, right? We begin to offer our own faith. We begin to love people so much that they then understand our faith and are blessed by it. And so with the world, we do, we be, and then we know, right? And the wisdom of that is there's so many reasons to go with that approach to serve first and then get to know and then share. I'm not telling you not to share if there's an opportunity, okay? Because God can circumvent this as his spirit moves the way he wants to. But as we do, be, and then know, the other brilliance about that order is that oftentimes the answers that we offer the world aren't to the questions that they're asking. And the only way to figure out what are the questions that people around us want to know the answers to is by serving them and being in relationship with them. So as you serve the folks around you, as you are in relationship with them, find out what are the issues of their lives? What are they struggling with? What are the things that don't really have a happy ending for them? How is their thinking and what truths of the gospel would most wonderfully bless them? What do they need to hear? That's the model. That's how we love. And that brings us back to Christ. Because Jesus came. I mean, he was gloried and hallowed and, and, and exalted at his birth. But then he spent the next 30 years of his life serving. 30 years of his life serving the world. Getting to know it. Understanding what it's like to be human. So that when it came time for him, he then gathered to himself a group of followers. Right? It was in relationship with them. And began to preach the gospel preach the gospel. That's how God is going to use us to bring the good news of Christmas to the world around us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you not just for coming, but for showing us how to come into the lives of the world around us. Thank you for goodness, for being willing to enter into our dry bones, for being willing to be cursed and judged for us so that we might have your new life. 
Jesus, if there's anybody here that hasn't yet experienced you, would you draw near to them, help them to see you, help them to cry out to you, and just to confess, Jesus, I've lived too long apart from you. I've ignored you for too much, and there's too many areas in my life where I haven't paid attention to you. Forgive me and come into my life. Spirit of God, come upon us. And whether our whole bodies are dry bones or just a part of us, breathe new life into us so that we could experience your power, experience your healing, experience your grace, and then send us out so that we'd have something real to share with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.